Daf Kav Zayin Amud Aleph. How to frame and focus a question? Shnei Shvilin. Shnei Shvilin is a, a, a famous Mishnah in Tarot, which we had back in Sachim and Daf Yud, and we have again here. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's just such an interesting scenario that the uh, the Mishnah talks about, and it uh, winds into our to our Gemara and to our sugya today. Einstein is reputed to have said that if he had an hour to solve a problem, he would spend 55 minutes defining the question and five minutes on finding the solution. Um, and, and that's not a flippant comment. We tend to spend much more time on finding the answers than on defining the questions. Uh, the, uh, I often tell the story of the entrance exam that, that I had to do when I came to Kfar Hasidim to learn with Rebelli Mishkovsky and I'd prepared the sugya that he told me to prepare, to prepare. I'd hired a kolo young man to, to teach it to me with every possible question and every possible answer. Um, and when I went into the test with the Rosh Hashiva, I felt very confident. And he sat me down and he said, well, what sugya are you learning? And I told him, And he said, okay, what are your questions? And I was, uh, I was kind of floored. I said, I've prepared the answers. I don't have any questions anymore. I've spent three weeks on it. I don't have any questions. He said, why would I be interested in your answers? Do you think it's likely that you've thought of an answer that I haven't thought of? Why would I want to know your answers? I would want to know your questions because from your questions, I can tell how you think. Um, and, and we spend a lot, we're trained in Western education to find the answer, find the answer, find the answer, have the right answer, give the right answer. In learning, in Gomorrah, we're taught to frame the right question. And I'm using the word framing because a question is not only about having, having a question, it's about having the right question. Uh, and as we'll see in this Gomorrah, how to frame the question. Very often, by reframing a question, you open you, you open completely different different possibilities. A simple word difference can can make such a difference. A difference between what should we be doing? Think of that question. What should I be doing in this situation, or what should we be doing as a company, as opposed to what could I be doing, or what could we be doing? What should means, what do people expect me to do? What, are, what is my job? What am I expected to do? And you're capping yourself. What could I be doing means with the resources I have, what could I be doing? Which can go far more th- th- than, than anything. That leads, leads one into the idea of lifnim mishurat hadin. What should I be doing is din. What does the Torah require of me? What does Hashem want of me? So that's nice. It's an important question to ask. What do my customers expect from me? It's an important question to ask. What does my boss expect from me? An important question to ask. But when you just reframe it and you just change the word from should to could, what could I be doing? Now, maybe what I could be doing is something my customer hasn't even thought of. Maybe what I could be doing is lifting Mishurat Hadin. Maybe I can do more than the halacha requires of me because I have the resources and the koyach to be able to do that. Maybe that's what I, what I ought to be doing. So here we see there's just many cases in halacha where we realize how important it is to frame the question. So we have a, a disturbing sort of a Mishnah here, where the Mishnah says, If an army conquers a town, 
And we, the Gemara talks about, we showed him about which kind, what kind of army, how do they conquer it, talking about specific circumstances. All the wives of Kohanim are psulot for their husbands after that. We assume that they've been raped. And for a Kohen, not only is, uh, uh, if a, a woman has been seduced, is she asura, as in the case of other, of other men, in the case of a Kohen, even if it's an Anusa, even if she's been raped. Then the Gemara says, Omar Rav Idi bar Avin, Omar Rabbi Yitzchak bar Ashian, im yesham machboa achat matzelet al hakahanot kulan. But if there's one cellar in the town in which they perhaps could have found refuge, that would save all the kahanot. Says Rav, it's interesting that Rav Idi bar Avin was very proud of his being married to a bat kohen. His wife was a kohenet. So he took a specific interest in this, in, in this Mishnah. And he says that if there's one place that they could have hidden, then, then that, that would save them all. By Rabbi Yirmiya, so Rabbi Yirmiya asks, What happens if, they, yes, there is one cellar in which they could have hidden, but there's only place for one woman in that cellar? Do we assume every woman who asks us whether she's allowed to stay with her husband, we say, well, maybe you were in the, in the hidden place. Or perhaps we don't say that. Just think of that of that Havamin. And the Ramban explains, are we talking about a, a, a hiding place that it, there's enough for the majority of the town or for the minority of the town? And he talks about being able to answer the Shaila in a way that is not Mechzi Keshikra. Sometimes the Halakha allows us to make certain, certain assumptions. But if the assumptions are glaringly false, you can't make them. Even though, even though, in a sense, you can. And so, if there's only a hiding place for one person, and there are 500 women in the in the town, and we have a shaila about the 500 women, 500 kohanot, what are we going to what are we going to say to say they're all okay? They were all in the hiding place. We know that can't be. So that's what the Gemara is asking. That's what Rabbi Yirmi is asking. That could be Merci Kashikra. How far can we push this assumption that maybe she was one of the women who found refuge? Says the Gemara, is this very different from the case of two shvilin, of two paths? This is the famous Gemara. One path we know is Tameh, there's a dead body buried under the path. One we know is Tahor, it's assumed to be fine. We don't know of any dead body. One man walked down the one path and he then did something, he handled food that was tahor, and his friend walked down the other path, and he handled food that was tahor. They both, they, all we know is they walked down different paths. We know one of the paths is Tameh, but they can't remember which path they walked down. That we don't know. Rabbi Yehuda says, it depends how the Shailah is asked. Here you've got framing the question. If they came together to ask the Shailah, you've got to say that to me, that the, the food that they touch is Tamei. If they came separately, then you can treat each one on its own. Rabbi Yehuda says, you know that either way, something's Tamei here. Yeah, that you know for sure, so you've got to make them both Tamei. Rava in the name of Sansa Rabbi Yochanan, 
explains it further and says, If they come together, certainly you've got to say it's Tameh. If they come one at a time, first Reuven comes, he says, I walked down one of the paths, I don't know which one it was. We say, well, we'll assume it was the good path. Then Shimon comes and says, I walked down the path, I don't know which one it was, but it's not the same path that Reuven walked down. It was the other path. We'll say, yeah, but maybe the path you walked down was good, so we'll make it Tahoe. The problem is only if one person comes and as Tosfus explains, he first asks about himself. I walked down that path. So we say, you Tahori. He says, and my friend Shimon walked down the other path. Now what do we say? Since one person is asking both Shailas to be treated as one body of information, or do we treat each piece of information separately? One says it's the same as, as simultaneous and one says it's not. And here with the women in the town, we want to allow the whole town, we want to say the whole town is Tohorah. That's like they're coming together and they should be Asurot. We should make the assumption that they're Asurot because they're coming to us all at the same time, in a sense, because we're making a decision about the, the whole town. We're not taking it woman by woman, case by case. You can't compare the cases. In the case of the two paths, we know for sure one of them is Tameh. That's, that's harder to deal with. Here we don't even know, even if she didn't get hiding, we don't know she was raped. We're just making an assumption. So if there's a way of, of changing the assumption, then we must do that. And it's, and it's not Mechzi Kashikra. It doesn't look like a lie because... But maybe she wasn't even raped at all. Maybe none of them were raped. We don't know. The um, he, Here we have another case of that, the freedom to choose our assumptions. That is such an important principle that we started developing a few a few weeks ago. The idea that our main Bechira is in what assumptions you want to make. Because once you've made the assumptions, everything else follows, both in Halakha and in life. If you've made an assumption about a situation or you've made an assumption about a person, once you've made the assumption, everything else that follows is almost inevitable. Uh, it, it flows. The time that you really have the opportunity to make a free choice is to choose your assumption. Do you want to assume that the person you're speaking to hates you or do you want to assume that the person you're speaking to respects and admires you? Make, an, make whichever assumption you like. You're free to make an assumption. There's 50% chance that you're right on either assumption. So make the one that works for you. Uh, and so in, in every situation, if you go into, a, into a, a business deal, do you want to assume this is going to be successful or do you want to assume that it's going to fail? Yeah, you've got a chance of being right or wrong with either assumption. How do you want to operate under the assumption of success or the assumption of failure? You can choose. Make your own assumption. So here too, with this woman who comes to ask us the shy, the, the shy, we're looking at a town of these women, we can make assumptions. We can say, oh, yo, yo, there was an army there. Clearly everybody was raped. Or we could say, yes, that would normally be the Chazaka, but there were hiding places. Who knows who found the hiding place? Who didn't? Why should we assume that everybody was raped when there's an opportunity to make a different assumption. So those, those are the, uh, the Gemara's. Tosfus qualifies it. There's some important Tosfus in here. Um, he says the, the people the, with the two, the two paths, the people still retain their status of Safek Tameh. That's, that's what they are. They're not Tehorim and they're not, and they're not Vadai Tameim. They're not definitely Tameh. They're Safek Tameim. They're p- potentially to me, impure, and therefore we will require them to go to the mikveh. 
who will require them to go through a tahara process. All we're talking about is before they went to the mikveh, they touched food. Now, is that food have the din, din of, of tahara? Is it something a kohen can handle and eat? Uh, can it be taken into the Beit HaMikdash? There are certain halachot that we've got to establish about the food that they touched, but that they have to go to the mikveh to be metahar, that's that certainly would be the case. So their status is sofik tameh. What is the status of the food they touched? That we can say is tahor, depending on the, on the way the question was asked. So if one's coming now with a shaila, the way you ask the shaila is going to determine what the answer is going to be. If you both, if you come together, if two people come together to ask the shaila simultaneously, the, the rov who's dealing with the shaila has to deal with it as one body of knowledge. If you're dealing with it as one body of knowledge, you've got to look at the whole thing. And lo mechzikashikri, you can't answer it in a way that looks false. But if each one can be framed separately, the way you frame it is, is, is very, very important. Um, if you can frame it focusing just on the issue at hand, is this particular person, the food that he touched, is that tahorotame? When that's done, the next person, and you can frame it separately, you allow for much more innovation in the solution. This is a principle in halakha, and it's a principle in life. The more clearly and focusedly you frame the question, the more opportunity there is for innovation in the solution. And you can change the framing. You can try one framing and it doesn't work. You try a different framing until you find the right framing that opens the pathway um, to, to a solution. The... Um, Tosfos also says at the bottom of the source sheet there, um, the case of the women, since we're looking at the whole town, it looks, it's like all of the questions coming together. Even if one woman is asking the question, we have to treat it as if it's all coming together. The knowledge is there, the information is there. If you put all the information on the table, you're, you're restricting. Sometimes you think you put all the information on the table, but you restrict the innovation sometimes if you do. Sometimes you've got to say to yourself when you're trying to solve a problem within halakha or in any other area, what if I only had this information? What, what if this is all I knew? How would I go about it? What if these are the only resources I had? How would I go about it? Without looking at the full spectrum of all the possibilities, which actually restricts you more than, than when you frame it very, very narrowly. It, it's we see this playing out in in the business world, and at the same when you're learning, it's exactly the same. When you restrict, for example, in the, one of the interesting examples, and we use it over and over again because there, there are many many examples. When Steve Jobs created the iPhone, he created it for a 12 year old boy. He designed it for a particular individual, a 12 year old boy. He didn't try and design a phone for the whole world. The, the more narrowly you focus the problem you're trying to solve, what would a 12-year-old boy find cool in a phone? What would a 12-year-old boy find easy to operate? What would a 12-year-old boy find useful in a phone? Because he figured if he could solve for the 12-year-old boy, we would all like it because there's a 12-year-old boy in all of us. But to, to narrow it down, instead of trying to find a phone that, because the more that you wide, the broaden it, then you've got to work with common denominator. And you lower the common denominator all the time, the broader you get. So in Halakha, if we, if, if we look at the whole thing at once, all the women in the town, these two men who went down the Tushvin, if we look at everything at the same time, it becomes too complex to be innovative. If we simplify it and we break it down and we focus, 
become as much easier to, to be innovative in the solutions we find for the dilemmas we face.